Military parents never miss a beat, and neither does the Johns Hopkins U.S. Family Health Plan. Built for every warrior in your family. With more than 40 years of service to military families, TRICARE Prime Benefits plus exclusive extras. Learn more at warriorsathome.com. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to Golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo taking release. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to Golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's G-O-L-O.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who have found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone and welcome to a new episode of the red and buried podcast i'm frankie i'm sarah and today best behavior in the room everyone <laughs> if it pleases the court uh that's not that's not a thing no if it, <laughs> for the benefit of the tape i am very excited to welcome graham bartlett to the podcast thank you very much and i'll take it as you introduce us like that you're going to caution me before we go into the interview proper are you oh i should do that right miranda <laughs> rights is that do we have those in the no, uk is that the, the us thing US. yeah no we just you don't have to say i'm not going to tell you because i got it wrong at the first capital crime i got it wrong on stage and that was very embarrassing <laughs> That's another story. Oh. <laughs> well, it's good to know that even someone of your standing occasionally has a slip up. That's, it makes you human, Graham. So, mm-hmm. Well, most of the people listening probably know who you are already because you are well it's beloved a- and known within the crime writing community <laughs> already. But Sarah, would you like to read the bio we've got about Graham? Yes. And I'll do my usual disclaimer. Frankie wrote this, so <laughs> any issues with it? Any puns as well? <laughs> Direct them to Frankie. I, le- I kept it pun free for you, but no, I'll get into them. Wow. You've been punished enough. <laughs> Terrible. Okay. <laughs> Graham Bartlett was the chief superintendent of Brighton and Hove Police and is the go-to consultant for authors and TV writers who want to inject authenticity into their work. Bartlett has worked with many authors, including Mark Billingham, Ellie Griffiths. Anthony Horowitz, Ruth Ware, Claire McGowan and Dorothy Coombson and also worked on TV dramas including ITV's recent show Annika. Graham's first non-fiction book, Death Comes Knocking, was a Sunday Times bestseller co-written with the best-selling author Peter James. He then published his first fiction book, Bad for Good, starring Chief Superintendent Joe Howe and the paperback of the second book in the series, Force of Hate, is out now. Force of Hate is a pertinently timed gritty crime thriller that traces the undercurrents of criminal activity in Brighton. When a firebomb attacks at a Brighton's traveller's site, killing women and children, Chief Superintendent Joe Howe has strong reason to believe that the new, dubiously elected, far-right council leader is behind the murders. Against the direct orders of her chief constable, Joe digs deeper into the killings. 
she uncovers a criminal ring of human trafficking and euthanasia, all leading to a devastating plot which threatens thousands of lives and from which the murderous politician looks sure to walk away scot-free. Outside of writing, Graham lives in Brighton with his wife, grown triplet children and their beautiful dog Murphy. He regularly runs online crime writing workshops and courses with the Professional Writing Academy and delivers inputs to master's programmes at the University of Cambridge and the University of East Anglia, as well as at the Crime Writing Certificate Programme at West Dean College. As well as being the oracle of police procedural knowledge and a very talented writer, Graham is also very warm, kindly and friendly, with excellent taste in animal-based shirts. Oh, I like that. I like that. (laughs) But yes, your animal shirt caused quite a stir at Capital Crime because it was very fun. It was very nice. But you... Thought it was a completely different animal to what it was. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was an armadillo, and then it was it was Mike Craven who who told me it was a um. What did he say it was? I can't remember what it was in the end. It chameleon. Was a chameleon. That's right. And he was then he started like twittering <laughs> on to me about about chameleons, and it's like Mike, <laughs> shut up, you know. But, <laughs> but he's, he's big and scary, isn't he, Mike? So he doesn't shut up. But yeah, no, I didn't realise. I just thought it's, uh, I bought. The- shirt and I thought it's a nice shirt and then I didn't realise it was to be such a conversation piece at, <laughs> at, 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 a, at an international crime festival. If that's all I'm remembered for, that'll do. There are worse things to be remembered for. <laughs> yeah. But no, you're obviously remembered for a hell of a lot more than that because you moderated a panel there as well. You do panels all the time and you're always working and advising people. Like what a what an interesting career you've had going from policing into this now. How did that happen? Well, and, and this is it. I don't, I don't know. It was an accident, really. It was, <laughs> I just stumbled into it. I, I left the police and didn't really know what to do. I, I knew I wanted to do something and I, I worked in safeguarding that sort of stuff. And then then I, I ended up in a conversation with Peter, who I'd known for a number of years anyway, and he suggested me writing nonfiction. And then in the in the kind of we, we did quite a lot on the road with that with that book and lots of crime writers came up and because I've been advising Peter, said, oh, if you advise Peter, can you advise me? And, and then, so as long, uh, alongside the writing taking off, the advising took off as well. And uh, it's, it's literally, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, it's, well, between the two, it, it's it's definitely a full-time job. Wow. And it's not just me anymore. I've got about uh, 20 or so other experts that I uh, feed work into when when the, the, the question or the, the, the theme is, is, more of their expertise because you can't know everything about about policing. I don't know everything about policing, so but I've got it all covered with all my other with all my other chaps and chapesses. That's fascinating. Wow. What's the most unique specialism you have on your books? Oh, oh my oh. lord! Oh god, now you're asking. I'm putting you on the spot now. I mean, I've I've got one recently. A chap who's who who was a an old Bailey journalist for years and years and years, and he. He he approached me at the um, Harrogate and said, "Oh, you know, I, I would like to come on onto your to, on, onto your group." And uh, so basically, he's he's interviewed all sorts of. He's interviewed he interviews the defendants in ways that we never do as police, you know. So he gets the inside story. He's interviewed mm-hmm. the craze. He's covered like all sorts oh, all wow. the big trials. So so he's he's just come on board as well. So um, yeah, no, I, I, and I've got people that are specialists in counterterrorism. I've got undercover officers. I've got forensic officers. I've got pathologists. I've got GPs, wow. I've got paramedics, I've got all sorts, all sorts. God, wow. imagine a dinner party. I know, I know, yeah. I know. We were, I was talking about that at um, Bloody Scotland at the weekend and um, someone was saying, you should, you, you, you should just do a, uh, just, just kind of write a book where you're all investigating a particular crime. And, and it actually reminded yes. me of, 
of um, Carl Hunter's new one, Murder in the Family. I don't know if you've read that, um, where, where she does very much that. And it's brilliant books. And it's not written in a traditional format. It's kind of all sorts of different things. It's got show notes and emails and texts wow. and that sort of thing. It's all for a reality TV show. So I thought, well, I, could, oh, amazing. Uh, I, I was on a panel with Cara, so I can, uh, I say, can I nick your idea? Because I've got 20 people <laughs> I need to put in the book. <laughs> you should at least have a murder mystery dinner party at the very least. We'd be rubbish. We'd be absolutely rubbish. <laughs> you know, I, I read, it could be um, embarrassing. Oh, I'm yeah. terrible. I'm absolutely terrible at it. Um, I, I'm not going to do a spoiler here, but I read William Hussey's Killing Jericho. We've, we had him on the full before he's great. Yeah, yes, he's great brilliant. Book. I did a, did a panel with him at um, Bloody Scotland yeah. at, uh, at the weekend. And um, it's an incredible book, isn't it? Really good, really yeah. great yeah. concept with a, a traveller ex-detective, a gay traveller ex-detective. You know, you just would never put yeah. those three things together. But it works so, so well. And I, I said to him, you know, I, I read it and I just kind of messaged him and said, just amazing, mate, you know, fabulous. I said, of course, I, of course, I never... Uh, I never guess the killer, but don't be flattered. I never do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need evidence. And I need the Mr. Killers to make silly mistakes, and they never do in books, do they? No, yeah. I suppose not. You've redeemed yourself slightly there. I was well, going to say, not, that's the, police the case for the defence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never close the case, but yeah. <laughs> lovely guy though. Nice to have around. Oh yeah, yeah. Just I'll keep everyone smiling, but we never, never get to get anywhere. <laughs> This is the the thing. I we had Liv Matthews on recently. Oh, Lovely she's Liv. Great, yeah, yeah, she's so great. And she was saying that you put her in touch with someone because she wrote her book about police divers, and you recommended someone that she speak to. Mm-hmm. And she said though, she's like Graham's like the loveliest man. Like, how the hell was he? such a big scary policeman and even before we started recording i was saying to sarah oh graham's so lovely you're gonna love him and she was like oh i was a bit intimidated reading his his bio like yeah really yeah i I think you started at the top at the end of the day i mean in all seriousness you you know whether you're whether you're a a crime writer a journalist or a police officer you know your humanity is what has to come through and you know i I can I, i i never got angry in the police i never shouted at people or kind of bang the table or anything like that but I worked uh, really? which well one of my predecessors was was very much like that and um after he'd gone and I'd taken over one of the uh, an officer came up to me and said well you're much scarier than he was you know I said what are you talking about scary I'm not scary I'm just <laughs> she said no she said if if we upset him then he'd just start shouting at us and our shoulders would sing heads would go down and just go over our heads you just got this look <laughs> you've got this look but no, we, what's got this the look, look? And, well I, I i actually i actually talked about the crime writing the um uh the crime writing certificate i i tried it out on there last uh, few months ago <laughs> right with one particular but i just thought i'd do it and i'd uh, you just asked for it so it, it's hard because this is obviously going to be an audio uh thing but yeah. you so it you have to do the question so you, you you're in a meeting and you you know you, the, okay. the, the example i use is that you You've had a you've had thirty burglaries in a in a very small area the day before, so it's a real epidemic of burglaries. And you've tasked people to do things, and one person's come and they haven't done what they're supposed to do. <sighs> so you just so I just used to say, okay, well, you know, do you remember yesterday's meeting? Oh okay. no. <laughs> okay, and do you remember how important this was, and that people were having their houses broken into and their privacy invaded? You know, you remember that? Yeah. Okay. And you remember that we all took jobs away to do, didn't we? We all took things that we were going to do to try and catch these people so that we could stop this happening to to innocent people in our town. Do you, do you remember that? 
and you took away number. Oh, man, I feel two. awful. I and you just carry on like that, just like, and, and, and then you, I'm really sorry, then, I didn't. So why, why, why did you think you of all people didn't have to do what we'd all agreed that we would do? And then yeah, lots of silences, <laughs> and and honestly, quiet voices, silences, you know, just just very very measured. They're they're absolutely, you know, if I started shouting, they go, I'll take the get out of the way, and then you know we move on. But yeah. Wow, that was really like I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Yeah. That exactly, hurts yeah. So much more. I feel guilty. Go sit on the north yes. step, Inspector Smith. <laughs> I feel awful, and I'm so sorry for something I haven't even been involved with. I feel like, oh my god, I really let everyone down. I'm so sorry, Frankie. You did. Oh, no. <laughs> I let you down at Capital Crime with just the endless puns that I kept throwing. Oh, I know it was. Do you know what I get? I get so much stick about my, and I'm not going to repeat any because they're so bad, my dad jokes, <laughs> but you absolutely stole the floor with your puns. They were awful. <laughs> Thank you so much. That meant that, everything that wasn't to supposed me. To be a compliment, oh, <laughs> rude. Uh, that's, also, can I just say, he's acting like he doesn't like them, Sarah, but he actually, you actually said, I should have recorded this for evidence. Because that helps. Yeah. You said we should write you like, I'm going to write a book and I'll give it to you, Frankie, and you can fill it with puns, was what that. you said. I did say that. And can you remember the subject matter Ooh. that we were going to write the book about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Mm. Probably shouldn't say that on a recorded medium. That's no. why I didn't record that Depends if your husband listens to it, okay. doesn't it? And you're, that sounds awful, doesn't it? Depends if your husband listens to it. That's, yeah, no, Sarah, it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> no. I was just talking about murdering my husband. It was all about, it was oh. all about dogs. dogs. It's about hierarchy in homes, dogs or husbands, wasn't it? That's what it was about, really. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. Ooh, anyway, let's talk about your book. Oh, right. Yeah, I've got a book coming out, haven't I? Yeah, yeah this, this old thing yeah, right here. This old thing, yeah. Ooh, that's <laughs> that's two copies thing. in the wild. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's very good. Very, very yes. good. Really enjoyed it. We talk, oh, so, I don't know where to start with it, but it's so great. Like, Joe Howe what a character you've created. Like, she is a force of nature to be reckoned with how much of joe is based on you then graham yeah no i mean i mean the reason i made a female is because i didn't want well what the reason i started to make a female, and then i realized there's so many more benefits on top of it was because i didn't want i didn't want it to be autobiographical so i wanted to force myself away from the autobiographical um temptation so but you know obviously the job she's doing is is uh the same as as, as mine the, the job she came from uh, was quite similar to the one that i i came from into that and I, I think some of her kind of inner demons and her kind of, you know, her self-doubt and, you know, that, 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 was, that, that was in me. And certainly her relationship with Gary, her, her deputy, very much mirrors the relationship that I had with my deputy because uh, I was very much a detective. That's my upbringing through the police as Joe's is. And, and my, my deputy, Steve, he was very much kind of firearms, public order. I used to call him, you know, the trousers and socks brigade because they always used to, you know, like those pink <laughs> trousers that are, you know, like your trousers and socks. And, you know, if you've got combat pajamas, I used to wind him up like that. And that's very much Gary. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, and, and she's a she, she's a family woman and, you know, she she struggles um, to, 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 to balance that. That's probably as far as it goes. I think, you know, some of her kind of, you know, some of her decision making is probably very similar to, to mine. But, you know, the, the, the her, her background and, and her sort of tensions that she has as a, as a woman in the police is you know very 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 you know outside of my own experience and and I I spoke to an awful lot of women officers senior women officers who'd, who 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 were at that level to learn actually what it was you know what was the difference between me a sort of white mm. 
I suppose, working middle class, straight, sort of 40-something bloke as I was at the time in that role versus being a woman or, or somebody from, from from another group. And and the difference was, it was unrecognisable, the efforts that they had to go through. And all, all that kind of feeds into Joe. And that's why she's so, well, in, in book one, she's very kind of unsure and anxious and then things happen and she loses control and she regains control. So in Force of Hate, she becomes more, she she, she almost what, can't let go of things. She, she, she wants to cling on to everything. She wants to be, right at front and centre when she shouldn't be you know she her role doesn't really mm. require that but she can't can't let go she's got her trust issues really yeah mm. but there were so many moments when reading it i was like yeah go on joe get him joe yeah. like she was yeah. yeah so it's really exciting to see her build that confidence yeah and be like no actually this is this is wrong and i'm gonna seek it out seek out justice yeah yeah she i mean she she absolutely she's not she, she's never going to be told not to pursue something you know she and, and she you know, whoever, whether it's the chief constable, the chief executive at the council, or her husband, she's never going to be told mm. not to pursue something if it's, you know, if, if if it's in her gut to do it. And and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I didn't want her to be a kind of ballsy, whiskey swigging, you know, fag smoking woman. I wanted her to be a, you know, a, a genuine person, but but who's got really strong morals and, uh, you know, and and is someone that will fight for the underdog which is very much what this book's about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a huge amount of very topical themes in this book. And funnily enough, while I was reading it, I was thinking the amount of research that must have gone into all of these different areas. How long did it take you to, well, we haven't asked, A, are you a planner or a pantser? But there must have been quite a lot of planning that went into this. How long was this ruminating before yeah you sat I mean down and did I, I, I always draft. wanted to write it I wanted to write a book about um uh, about extreme political pressures on the police and mm-hmm. Brighton and Hove is is probably a city that probably would be the last city in the world and it, I'll probably be proved wrong with this but hopefully I won't be that that ever goes neo-nazi yeah but I wanted I wanted because mm. it, it it is very left-wing uh, Brighton and Hove but I wanted I wanted extreme political pressures I want I, I'm, I'm absolutely disgusted with the way that you know the narrative around uh, people you know migrants who come to this country and how they're demonized uh, you know and also I wanted a, th- a theme on that um, there was some stuff that was going on during the pandemic around do not resuscitate orders on people so you know I wanted wanted to include that in it as I probably there's about four books in this and I just crammed it all into <laughs> one and, and you know and, and, and I wanted to I wanted to show you know how how unchecked corruption can flourish and 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 the carnage that can cause mm. yeah and you as sarah said there's so many uh different areas in this like marginalized communities like the traveler community which you know historically has been treated very poorly by the press and p- public perception of travelers is very you know mixed so uh, how did you go about researching these worlds well i mean the the, the traveler one was wasn't very difficult to research because i don't i don't tell it from the traveler's point of view because yeah. I don't think really that's my my experience to tell. But what I I did was, I mean, you, you say that they're treated badly by the by the press, treated badly by the police, and treated bad, badly by local authorities too. And, and mm. when I started at Brighton, my my direct predecessor, not the shouty one that I was talking about a minute ago, my direct <laughs> predecessor said, "There's there's two battles you won't win." Uh, and and he was a friend of mine, so you know he wasn't kind of trying to be horrible to me. He said, "There's two battles. Mm. One is around protest. Brighton's a very political city." And the other one is travellers. 
I said, well, I, I don't want to, well, I don't want to battle with travellers. No, he said, no, no, battling with others about travellers. He said, that's what you won't win because, you know, everybody says that they respect travellers' rights to live their lifestyle, but as long as it's not on their on their patch of grass or not on their park, not on yeah. their, yeah. you know, keep car park or, or whatever it is. And, you know, we, we used to get so many complaints from from the communities and and the council and you know just the police need to move them on police need to move them on and we, i remember one conversation i said what what is the issue with travelers i said you know okay you know that they, they they turn up and you know it might be inconvenient and, and we you know we might need to kind of work with them to try and reduce the impact on the settled community and um i remember a councillor said to me she said yeah they, they come in they come down to our city they don't pay our our uh, council tax they they take over our, our public spaces they they cause disorder crime and disorder they leave a mess and they and they go off and i said okay so you've just described everybody who comes into brighton on a friday or saturday night because that's exactly what they <laughs> yeah. do but we don't mind about them yeah. do we we like them because they they come in and and, and you know they, they spend money and that sort of i said can you not see the irony in that and they go, no, no, it's different, it's different, different. They're just awful. So I thought with this, with Force of Hate, what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to have a, a big showpiece scene to, to to kick Joe into action, really. I mean, Joe's Joe starts off, she's sort of rumbling along. She's got, you know, she's having she's having some difficulties with the local council. She's taken on a, a sort of quasi-caring, straight visiting responsibility for, I won't spoil the first book, but for somebody who, who was a legacy of the, <laughs> of the first book. Uh, visiting their mum in in a care home, uh, and she, she and and the chief constable is a, a bit of a my lad say arse on this podcast. Say whatever yes. you want. Okay, he's <laughs> we a, love a swear. He's a, <laughs> he's a bit of an arse, <laughs> so she's having trouble with him. But I want I needed obviously something to kind of fire it into it, it, fire it into it, in, into action. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, and I and I thought this is something I could exactly imagine would happen, and the response to it would be exactly as I'd written it. So going back to the question yeah. about research, you know, it didn't mm. really take a lot because it, you know, that that a lot of that was my lived experience, apart from wow. the actual, you know, the, the firebomb attack itself. Thankfully, yeah, wow. And the migrant stuff. I mean, it's all it's as you say, it's a constant thing now. You basically, when you decided to title this "A Force of Hate," you're like, what does every, what what does the Daily yeah. Mail write about? And hate every <laughs> yeah. day. Yeah. Tick tick tick. Yeah. You've covered it really well. So. Uh, that and also I have to say that's a bold choice to write so openly against that kind of mindset right now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's incredible. You know, thank God there are people like you doing that. But how do you um, go about presenting that? And mm. I guess you know, were you trepidatious? Was were you, do you have any concerns about writing that narrative, or do you just you know it's the right thing to do? Yeah, no, I, d- I didn't have any concerns about writing it. I I, I knew the risks, um, but and and. They don't. Uh, they don't seem to have sort of come to fruition. I've not been, you know, I've I've, I've not been doorstep by the Daily Mail yet. Although <laughs> that might that might change when this goes out. Give it time. <laughs> yeah. But I. I mean, I, I wanted to write about trafficking because I'm I'm really uh, and 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 uh, migration because I'm really passionate yeah. about how people are treated. I my, my nephew worked for many years in a in a in an agency in Athens that received Syrian migrants and and kind of. You know, got, got got them sort of sorted and and gave them the basics, and and he he gave me a whole load of sort of ha- really harrowing and shocking detail about you know what these people have been through to get to get that far. You know how they were treated when they got the ex- the exploitation, 
the just the the, the the kind of cheapness of human life and and then i read a couple of books one's called uh, a force more powerful than the sea by melissa fleming which is a non-fiction about a girl that is, flees syria goes through, through through africa and tries to get across to italy and ends up one of about four or five survivors from 700 that that, drown, that drowned in a, in a in a mediterranean crossing it's really shocking and the other one was mm-hmm. the beekeeper of aleppo by christy laferti which is just fabulous um and and I so I wanted Adji, who's my my um, migrant, um, to to be to to be quite central to it, and for her to be come through as quite a strong and powerful woman herself. Because I think and 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 innovative and resourceful, and you know, I've deliberately said that you know she's she, she's a qualified nurse, yet she's treated like absolute dirt, you know. And, and you just think, yeah, how short in this country are we of qualified nurses? And we've probably got thousands living. <laughs> under the radar because they're too frightened to stick mm. the head above it absolutely the, the book opens with her making her journey through and oh my god like you capture how horrific that must be is what people don't understand is no one wants to make this journey no. that is a horrendous ordeal and i think yeah you really capture that in a very harrowing but very important way so yeah it was yeah it was I, th- I mean hard I think that, to read but good to yeah read. i mean hopefully that the harrowing detail is is implied rather than expressed because yes. she's sort of stuck yeah. in this lorry she's got she thinks that she's at the, she can see the finish line or she thinks she can see the finish line obviously you know we, as we know the finish line yeah. is never what the, what it's sold to be but uh, and then basically i mean it's not a spoiler to say the police stop the lorry and yeah. she has to she has to make a mistake, uh, make an escape. Otherwise, she's she's going to be shipped back to where she came from. And it's kind of like snakes and ladders for her. <sighs> and then she ends up on the streets. If that doesn't make people want to pick this book up instantly and read it, like that's the opening of this book. Like it's incredibly compelling. So, yeah, yeah it's not yeah. a soft launch, is it? <laughs> I don't, no, I don't do soft <laughs> it bad for good. I had, um, <laughs> I had a domestic abuser taken up onto the downs and and beaten with battens and had his legs broken. I don't really like soft launches. I think they're like my next, my next book's, my next book's got a, quite a, quite a crash bang wallop launch as well. Oh <laughs> well, <that's>... boy. <laughs> Amazing. Dare we ask, is the next book in the series another Joe book? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's called City on Fire Excellent. and it comes out in Ooh. March <laughs> and it's, it's around, it, it's around the drugs epidemic in, in Brighton and Joe's efforts to, try and stem that and and to 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 get more people into treatment get the dealers into prison and the treat and, and the users into treatment uh and the the other side to that is a big pharmaceutical company that are trying to do exactly the opposite and try and sustain the levels of, of addiction uh, and they start picking off police officers and picking off police officers families the actual the 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 the, the, the operation we call it operation eradicate in city on fire is based on a real operation that I ran for five years called Operation Reduction, where we we did just that. We 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 targeted users not not to put them in court, but to get them into treatment. We had treatment places in play in it, it all set up, and and they went into that. And we we focused our policing resources on dealers, and and we reduced drugs deaths one year from or the first year from fifty two in a year to twelve, uh, wow, and then overall does. crime we we reduced by thirty percent and what we call impact crime which is the kind of what they call acquisitive crime so thefts burglaries robberies we reduced by about 60 percent in the areas that we were targeting it was a fact it was it was so successful but the cuts basically 
disbanded it and now we're back where we are again so i <laughs> yeah so I, I i decided to write that because i wanted to write that that in a fictional way and, and kind of again is it like with all my books of course take bad for good it's kind of takes takes what is happening and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it and you know this mm. is what could happen yeah. I was about to say it sounds amazing. That's not quite the right word, but you know what I mean. Very much looking forward to reading it. <laughs> yes. Oh, so I wanted to, there's, at the very beginning of your book, it says, I always tell authors that the story and characters must come first. With that in mind, this is a work of fiction. Hence, some structures, titles, locations, and even some police procedures have been modified to serve the story and the characters for your enjoyment. Obviously, you come from, you know, that world inside and out, and that's what you, you know, day to day basis. So do you feel a kind of a pressure to twist a lot of the procedures off to make it more engaging? Because I imagine it's a lot of paperwork that you're yeah. getting used to yeah, doing. I don't, I, don't, I don't twist anything. I, I streamline it and I, and I skate mm. over procedures and I, I have officers doing roles, doing sort of, you know, I double hat them in roles so that they don't, mm. you, you know, you You'd never have um, in in bad for good. You'd, you'd never have the intelligence officer um, also being the the family liaison officer, and, and you know they'd be separate roles. But you have to remember when you write writing fiction that you know the reader w- wants a manageable cast to, to 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 focus on. So if you've got twenty people, you know eighteen of which are bit players, then you you know you you're, you're you're just confusing the reader. So that's what that's all about. And I I, I extended the I mean sort of forces share. Some share functions. So Surrey and Sussex have the same murder team, for example. Well, I've extended that to the whole of the South East just because I, when I started writing it, it was going to be set in the future. It's not quite so futuristic now, unfortunately, because it's um, things are beginning to happen. But I wanted yeah. to make the cuts look re- even worse than they actually were. So I, I played around with that a little bit. Uh, you know, and I think I think every writer should have something like that in there, mm. every crime writer, because no one wants to read it as it actually is. Otherwise, you know, it's it's a textbook and and they'll go and buy a textbook instead yeah (laughs) interesting textbook though (laughs) one of the questions that we like to ask every author that we speak to is if you had to be a character for one of your books who would you be and why oh 100 percent, bob heaton so (laughs) bob heaton is is the i probably wouldn't want to be him in book one in bad for good because some terrible things happen to him in in book one but bob so bob heaton is the is the detective inspector he's you know he's he's actually three ranks below joe but joe can't work without him he's just he's the sort of the solid go-to experienced again slightly vulnerable he's only just come out as gay so he's struggling with that a little bit not not being gay but struggling with you know how people are are, are taking it and actually people you know don't care really you know that's just his own private life and that's up to him no problems at all but he's, I just, um, in Force of Hate, I loved writing some of his scenes. There's a scene in Force of Hate where this doctor has been signing off all of these do not resuscitate orders in the care homes. And um, Bob's, Bob's been in a particularly tricky interview with a, a sergeant who's been arrested for something. And it's not, it doesn't go, you know, as far as the story is concerned, it's just, it's just a scene to get Bob in the mood that I wanted to get him in. And this DC's got this problem at this care home. So he just wants to go and have a play, really. Bob does. He just wants to get his hands dirty again. So he goes up to the goes up to this doctor's surgery, and you've got this receptionist that he's turned up early before it's open. The receptionist won't let him in, and I just loved writing the scene there because Bob's not taking no for an answer. You know, <laughs> Bob is not going to go away, and you know she's she's sort of you know going on about you know the doctor this, the doctor that, and he's going yeah, all right, yeah, but you know these are murder inquiries, so 
you better, you know, and it's just just this whole way yeah. and, and, and just the way he plays people. Yeah. And then, then he's in it later great. on, he's in a he's in a firearms scene, he's in a firearms briefing. And it, this was this was my real reaction. When I, so I, I had to get advice from people sometimes. And I, I have a tactical firearms trainer, one of the Southeast tactical firearms trainers who helps me oh. with firearms scenes to make sure I get them right. And um, that when when you're, they're briefing firearms officers, they use this term dance step. So but basically what it means <laughs> is that, you know, you go there, you go there, you cover this bit, you cover that bit. And they just say, right, here are the dance steps so that every officer knows where they have to be. So Bob's in this briefing and he's, he's never heard this expression before. So he starts, gig, he starts giggling at this, at this expression and thinking about some kind of mashup between SAS who dares wins and, uh, and Strictly. And, and, then, and then he's sat in a car with a chief inspector who was taking it all very seriously. And he just wants to chat. Um, that'd be exactly me. I'd love, I'd love to be Bob. I love, I love writing him. He's just the, he's Yeah, just Bob funnest. is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And it's so, this is the other thing as well. It's so nice in crime stories, which are often, and this one, you know, this it's full of, you know, heavy scenes, a lot of sadness, a lot of hard parts, but you need that comic relief in there mm. to remind you that it's human, uh, yeah. that you would laugh at dance steps because it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> yeah. There's a scene with Bob and Joe in, um, I won't spoil it, in City on Fire. And they're just Ooh. about to get some really, really, they don't know it. They're just about to get some, devastating news oh god uh, and bob bob I, I mean, i'll say this but bob's in hospital at this point he's been injured he's in the hospital at this point and um joe comes in and, and just right in that scene joe comes in with this packet of biscuits that she knows he hates but she loves uh, <laughs> balls and biscuits so he, she goes oh he goes oh balls your favorite how kind and then uh, she's going don't you like them no oh well i better eat them then and it's just like it's just this <laughs> stupid banter between the two of them i loved it i love writing that that's because that's so yeah. real. That, that is really, you know, how we used to speak to one another, just, you know, keeping it light. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious as well. You're obviously a very good writer, but you worked in the, I assume you did a lot of writing while you were in the police, just doing reports and things. But did you always have a, a secret dream of writing a book? Was that a long term goal or that just came out organically? No, do you know, I think, I think I'd be only because every time, every time I hear any author ask this question, they go, oh, yeah, you know, when I was eight, I used to sit and write books and I've got them all in my little box you know that I had under my bed and all that I had no notion of being a writer until Peter James asked well I, I'd written some wow I'd written some blogs which Peter I mean as I say Peter and I, I knew Peter well anyway but I'd written some blogs which you know and which Peter had read and he'd obviously seen something in that in my writing this was when I was sitting in the police that he thought actually that he could I can work with that so when I left he said wow. this non-fiction and it was really hard it was really hard to trans transcend from I mean, if you're writing police reports or police statements, everything has to be on the page. You have to be really precise with your language. You can't leave anything open to inter- interpretation. You can't leave nuance. I can't imagine metaphor no, no, plays in all, the police no. reports. <laughs> so, <laughs> Similes. And it's exactly, exactly that. So you yeah. move across and they're, they're, exact, they're all the things that you need to kind of get comfortable with. And, 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 and it took yeah. me a long time. Even though we're writing nonfiction, you still need to make it, you know, you still need to, you know, make it yeah. enjoyable for the reader. Uh, and it, all those things, I just, oh, I just couldn't get it for ages. And then, then he said to me, he said, right, he said, you, you've got to find your voice. You've got to find your voice. You've got some great material here, but you've got to find your voice. He said, just, just right, don't think about it. Just sit down and write a prologue. Uh, I think he said like a 300-word prologue, as if you're coming into Brighton, you've got off at the station, and you're coming into Brighton and what you see and what you're thinking. And I did that, and it took me about half an hour to write it. And it just, it was just like a stream of consciousness. And I read it through, made a few tweaks, sent it over to him. 
and he and he phoned me about an hour later and he said right that is the voice that you've got it that is the voice oh brilliant 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 okay he said right now go back and rewrite everything you've written so far that voice <laughs> but it was such a lesson because I it kind of it taught me what the difference was because I'd done it myself I'd actually you know he made me do it myself and and it was kind of yeah. and I was overthinking things and uh, it wasn't quite proceeding in the northerly direction before but it wasn't far off it so yeah no 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 previous ambitions at all wow had a had some luck with Peter was a, you know privileged to be asked to do it found that I you know with some with hard work I could do it and and never looked back Wow, that's very incredibly impressive. And, uh, you know, to, to so many, doing so well in so many careers, you're one of those overachievers that um, <laughs> I find very upsetting. I'm sure about that. But, <laughs> but uh, so now that you've you found your feet in writing and you've obviously you've written this to be your third, fourth book at this point. So the uh, Force of Hate is is my fourth book, including the two co-written. So, uh, but then, yeah, obviously City on Fire. Next one to come. Yeah. So what do you enjoy most and least about the writing process? I think that, that what, what I enjoy most is, is, this is going to seem really bizarre, is is the editing stage. I love the edit- okay. my, my editing stage, my, my editing stage, <laughs> not, not, any, not putting anyone else's editing <laughs> I, No, because the way I approach it is is that I, you asked me earlier if I was a plotter or a pantser, and I'm, I, I'm, more, mm. I'm more of a pantser, but I do structure. So I have a, a structure and I know, I know the kind of waypoints that I need to hit and, and when I need to hit them, but I don't really have much of a sense of what, what's in between. I let that be, be, be more sort of intuitive. So, so when I write my first draft, I literally just write it. I just don't, I don't really care. I mean, I'm writing a, a, another book at the moment and, and I'm just, I'm just, I've just got notes down on the side going, this is crap sort. This is crap. Find, <laughs> find a better way for saying this, but I just want to get, I just want to learn the story for myself. I want to write my own story. So I just keep going, keep going, keep going. When I go back to do my first edit, that's when I really start to, to, to work on the prose and the structure and the rhythm and the polish. Uh, and I have this kind of, this mantra that I, I use for myself. And I also tell other writers who, when they're saying how much of the procedure should we put in. And it's something that I, I didn't learn from Greg Herberts because I've never really spoken to him other than very briefly in a, the bar at Harrogate. But <laughs> I, I kind of picked up from his books and, and his books, they're so, he, he's so efficient with his words, efficient with his sentencing and that. So I had this mantra that every word in every sentence, in every paragraph, in every scene, in every chapter has to earn itself a, a place on the page in the book. So, so you know, I, I that's when I really kind of, hone things down you know I try and get rid of adverbs and adjectives if I can by finding you know better uh, nouns and uh, better verbs and nouns to, to to replace them and I really work hard on the on the quality of the writing the storytelling is done I, mm. I do change you know I, I will change it but I don't often change it sort of fundamentally at the second edit so the first edit stage but but definitely you know I'm, I'm really starting to, to to craft it and I love that I mm. love it I and I and the thing is, I can't stop. So I get my copy edits back and I do a little bit more. And I, I, I'm more disciplined on City on Fire. You shouldn't really do it on page proofs, but I, on the other books, I've done it on page proofs as well. Wow. You are the first person who has sold the editing process to me. Oh, I me. love it. I love it. Because it's just like, <laughs> you know, if you think you're doing it, if you think you're doing a sculpture, if you're, you know, you've got this this big slab of rock and you're knocking a shape, you just watch the shape. But the best bits, when you start to, to, to sort of get it all, 
all kind of looking like the, the what you what you wanted to what, what you want the consumer to see it, what you want the reader to see it, or the you know the the art admirer of its sculpture. I really yeah. like that because I think a lot of people. If they, when they think about writing, they're like, I couldn't possibly do this because I, you know, it's such a high art and it's so much skill involved. And they just think I couldn't even begin to attempt it. But I love that idea of just get it down mm. first, just empty your brain and then go back later. And that's when you can chisel away at it, yeah. to use your metaphor. Yeah, and no, exactly. Refine it more. And, and, and it, you know, I think readers sometimes forget that they're seeing the finished product. You know, they're not seeing yeah. the greatest writers of the world will all go through the similar stages of getting a story out of their head and then polishing and polishing and polishing. Uh, and the, the yeah. harder you work, the easier you make it look. The same if you're a, you know, if you're a professional athlete or a musician or a, an actor or, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, the harder you work, the easier you make it look. And readers and, you know, people that consume anything really sh- should basically satis- you know, understand that, that they're seeing the finished product. That they're, not, they're not seeing, you know, we don't kind of bring this to the stuff fully formed out yeah. of our heads and onto the page. Yeah. You do actually have to work at it. So, and um, what's your least favourite part about the writing process then, if it's not editing, which is what most people say? <laughs> <laughs> what's left? <laughs> yes. I, I think my, my, my least favourite is, is trying to find the time to do it. You know, I mm. yeah, you said at the beginning how, how busy I am and I, 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 I'm terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm getting better now, but I'm, I'm terrible in in kind of just allowing myself quality time to 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 sit down and and, and write because I've got so many other pressures going on, and because it, writing is the thing that I enjoy most, it feels less like work than anything else. And I feel oh, I should be working, so I'll do other stuff, and then you know the writing will will take a second place. And I, uh, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm much better now than I was. So, but but it is that kind of is that guilt of God, you know, I've got through another day and I haven't hit the word count and all of that, and uh, and, and and the pressures and I, and I'm worse if I haven't got a deadline if I haven't, haven't got a deadline then mm. then I'm just you know I'll, I'll just let it slip and slip and slip if I've got it, I'll always hit a deadline I'm, you know I said I think it's kind of sort of way I was brought up in the police you know yeah. you, you got a deadline mm. and they're kind of immovable so a bit like my inspector yeah. in that briefing that I was telling off I was gonna say <laughs> you don't want them to be having the conversation with you no, <laughs> why no. do you think this deadline doesn't apply to you Graham yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel harsh just doing that. Okay. <laughs> you did it too smart. You were too smiley there, thank you. Uh, <sighs> that's that's no, it. You can't, that's you my, my failure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, actually, Sarah, is it time? It's time. So I shouldn't be smiling when I say this bit, Graham, because unfortunately, I have some really terrible news to deliver to you now. Okay. She says, try not to smile if she says it. <laughs> uh, I, I feel. Extra. It's always a bit different doing this to someone that knows what they're talking about from a legal perspective. So we're going to have to suspend belief for a second, for, okay. just for as a vehicle for this question. Like you say, tell your authors to do. We're going to ignore some of the factual right. stuff. Here. It's a big build-up. I don't know what's coming. It's just... <laughs> well, it's pretty bad uh, because Graham Bartlett, despite your very impressive law-abiding background, turns out you've actually committed a really heinous crime. Fine. Yes, so heinous so awful in nature that you've actually been sentenced to death oh dear <laughs> they they bought it what? back for you in just the uk for oh yeah, oh, just yeah. for you oh, it was that bad <laughs> yikes yeah well you know little old you look what you were able to achieve what crime do you think you've committed oh um 
Plagiarism? No, not plagiarism. Uh, <laughs> sloth. I think sloth. Sloth. Oh, okay. Went biblical with it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you have committed absolutely unconscionable levels of sloth. Capital sloth. <laughs> Capital incredible. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And they, we were so appalled as a nation, we voted to bring back the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, the good news is, good news, is good that, news. Uh, <laughs> not that you're going to be sentenced to death, but the good news is we will get for you the death row meal of your dreams. All right. Yes. Okay. So what will, what would your death row meal be? Right. Oh, I like this. I know that because it's fresh in my mind. Now, if you'd have asked Ooh. me this last week, I'd have probably been saying something Mediterranean, maybe some some Greek food, Turkish food, Syrian food, something like that. I mm. had the most incredible curry at the weekend, and it was a lamb rogan Josh with uh, mushroom pilau rice, kima naan, and poppadoms, and a few other bits and pieces. And I had it at the Maharaja in Stirling, opposite the Black Lion Hotel. It was the best curry in the world, and I would go back and eat it and eat it and eat it again. So, and I'm not being wow. paid by the Maharaja in uh, in Sterling, obviously that line <laughs> at all. Uh, but it was incredible, absolutely incredible. That wow. would be my. Uh, in fact, I'll have. I'll probably have about. Ask for about ten of them just to delay the the the, the actual. You know the the the, the 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 walk the walk of doom. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'd have. So lamb rogan Josh, mushroom pilau rice, kima naan, poppadom, all the trimmings, Maharaja Sterling in my cell soon as you like. Graham, with this uh, with this choice, are you trying to curry favour oh. from the Maharaja? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I, I wish I'd predicted that. I wish I'd predicted you were going to say that. Because I was something like that. Changed your answer. <laughs> I am wow. incredibly jealous that you've had the best meal of your life in the last week. Wow. Oh, no. Yeah. No, it's just it amazing. Was just, yeah, just lovely. It was really nice. So you'll be moving to Sterling. Yeah, I was going to say, I always wanted to go to bloody Scotland and that's, that has convinced me to go yeah. next year, that yeah. curry. Yeah. Well, if you go wow. next year, we'll go to the Maharaja over the road. Yes. I won't keep going through it again, but uh, yeah. And do you know what? You, know what? You, could, you could tell that it was the best the, the, the best place because while we were sitting there, I was sitting there with, with, with some other crime writers, there, there was a big table of, of other crime writers there. And then Bob, who's like Mr. Bob Bloody Scotland, Bob McDevitt, he walked in as well, so you just think it's like if you see Whoa. a police car. Out, if you see a police car outside a, you know, a, a, an all-day breakfast cafe or something like that, that's the place to go because no, the good. police, the police know it. That's what I mean. I've got, a, got I've got the same cafe in two of my books because it's the one that we always used to go to. That's a good it's a real one. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Always. We did it. I do it. In, am I twittering on here? I'm no, I love it. Please more. So we we went to Talk New about York. Food. Family went back in 2013. And I and I said that like all these places, these diners and everything. And I said oh, we're going that one. And my wife said, well, "Why? What, what's the difference?" I said, "It's got police cars outside." She said, yeah, "That might be a robbery." I said, "No, it's not been a robbery there. <laughs> they're eating, and if they're eating in there, they know what all the other ones are like. We're going in there." And then we went back three years later. And we so we went there about three or four times for breakfast and stuff like that before we went into Manhattan because we were staying just outside. And we did the same. And um, three years later, we, we we were going in there as well. It's just the best one. It's called Dor- wow, it's the Dorians good in Long Island. Anyone needs it? Look, I need to be getting some royalty, some sort of kickback from some of these restaurants that I'm. You should be an influencer for these these people. <laughs> like that. they should give you, yeah, you could be the face <laughs> of the Maharaja <laughs> and Sterling. I think that <laughs> sounds great. 
Wow, and that's that's such a good point because as well, the police will know like the hygiene ratings yeah, and all of the horror, yeah. like yeah. that's genius. Yeah. They know, you know, they know the results of all the drug swabs that they do in the toilets and all that. Yeah, that's no, definitely. Oh my god! Yeah, the police will always eat well. My son's. I told you a minute ago. My son's in the police, and he tells me the best places in the area that he he works. And I just think, yeah, I'll go there. Um, I have to say, we've been doing this podcast for a few years now, and. I've learned a lot, but that's the most interesting, useful fact I've learned Listen. in this whole time. <laughs> Restaurants with police cars in front where there's not been a crime, that's the place to go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, other guests, if I've jumped all the advice that you <laughs> We've peaked. No one can yeah. beat that. Yeah. No, no. Wow. Great okay. choices. God, I want a curry for dinner now. Yeah. Same. <sighs> well, I can't imagine you're that upset about this situation since you're getting the world's best curry out of it but um unfortunately you now have been put to death oh very sorry. sad very sad <laughs> but good very news quick. oh okay yeah, good news again it's a, curry a silver gone. Lining. Yeah. more good news yeah and um, we will let you be buried with the book of your choice what book are you taking with you oh well it's got to be the godfather Either either that or the first draft of um, my first book, which Peter said was was I needed Aww. to rewrite because I don't want anyone to see that. But no, the Godfather, <laughs> the Godfather. Disposing of evidence, yeah, are you? See? No. Oh, there's the police. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's great. So is that your favourite book of all time? Oh, it's incredible. It's just, I mean, I've I've read. I must have read it three or four times, and I've watched the movie as uh, at least as many times. Yeah. Every time I just see something deeper and deeper in it, you know, it's just perfect in terms of character, in terms of, you know, the underlying messages, the structure, dialogue. It's just, just incredible. You know, I, I can't talk highly enough about it. I don't know if you've seen, there's a, um, there was a great, a great um, drama on Paramount called The Offer, which was about the making of, uh, oh, no. of The Godfather. And, and it's told from the point of view of the, um, of the director. And the, and the, the 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 grief they went through, and you know, for the mafia of New York City, and you know, everyone not to make the movie, uh, and you know, it was it was it's a brilliant movie, but it's just that's just another that was just an aside. But yeah, The Godfather is mm. my favourite book of all time. Solid pick, great choice. And we'll chuck in your manuscript for the first one too. We'll Could do you? you a yeah, solid. Not anyone to read that. that. One out. That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's fine. We'll line the coffin with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pad it out. Wow. Graham, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank really you so much it. for great. coming I'm so, on. I'm so glad that uh, you invited me because it's, oh. it's such a chuckle. And, um, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. So Force of Hate is out now, isn't it? It is, in paperback? Yeah. yeah, in paperback. Yeah, yes. out now, uh, as is bad for good. And um, yeah, in... Yes. Most good bookshops. I won't say all good bookshops because I'm sure if there's a bookshop that is good that hasn't got it, I don't want to insult them. But uh... Oh, no. <laughs> or it's if a they're bad not bookshop. It. Yeah, bad, yeah. yeah. And then the and City yeah. on Fire is out in March. Book three is out in March. And will you come back to speak to us again? I will, Olivia, yeah, if you'll have me. We'd we would love to. to. Thank of you. And where can people follow you online, not in real life, uh, on social media? <laughs> <laughs> so they can follow me. I am a GB Police Advisor on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and uh, I'm Graham Barker, Author and Police Advisor on Facebook. And I think I'm on Threads. I am on Threads. I'm on GB Police Advisor on Threads. And my website is www.policeadvisor with an all, all this with an OR, two ways to spell advisor, policeadvisor.co.uk. I've just realised, this is how, how stupid I am. I've just realised GB Police Advisor is Graham Bartlett. I assumed him in like Great Britain. Oh, really? <laughs> 
What an idiot. That's not yeah, I shouldn't have admitted I'm gonna, that. No, I'm going to use it. I'm going to brand it as that. It's great British. When you I, are um, the great British. <laughs> great British. When I signed my, um, <laughs> when I signed Bad for Good, so I did it at Goals for Books. Most people do it at Goals for Books. My agent runs Goals yeah. for Books. So. And um, I had the, they've got the backdrop and their, their, their logo is GB as on, the, on, the, on the backdrop. <laughs> And because um, I've seen it so many times, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really sort of, the penny didn't drop for me. And somebody messaged, going, oh my God, have they done that logo just for you? Just for you? How can <laughs> they have a logo just for you? That's the name of the bookshop. Yes. <laughs> but I wish they had. You should have said yes. Graham Bartlett Books. I think it yeah, works. Yeah. yeah. Take over. Yeah. Amazing. Sarah, where can people follow us online? At Red and Buried Podcast on pretty much all the social medias. Sure. And you can, yeah. And you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. Seamless. Perfect. Marvellous. Well, Graham, thanks again. <laughs> really excited for the next book. But for now, everyone needs to go out and buy Force of Hate. It's ASAP. the law. They have to do it. It's, it's the, the law. Lo- it is yeah. the law. And I am the law. Yeah. If GB, if great, the great British police advisor says, <laughs> then it is. <laughs> You buy a copy of Force of Hate and you go buy Lamb, Rogue and Josh. And that's your evening sorted, isn't it? That's your evening, yeah, absolutely. dream. What more do you need in your life than that? Agreed. Mm. Thank you again. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for listening as well. And we will see you next time. Perfect. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We're so bad at ending the podcast. We (laughs) never get it right. Do you like pop culture and top 10 lists? If you do, then step inside the Den of Ten. In the den, we have countless top ten lists to captivate and titillate even the weariest soul. We've got lists of films. And there's that famous thing about the the scene where he improvised his way through smashing his hand and cutting his hand open on the glass as he banged his hand on the table. Yeah. I mean, you can't really say boo to that. Music. The rest of the song is like just a swirling crescendo of clever songwriting, amazing singing, great drumming, beautiful guitar effects. Video games. And I think that's exactly what happened with Zelda. It was everything, looking back, is on a much lower resolution to what we see in Breath of the Wild. But as I was playing it, I just felt like my imagination was just going absolutely wild. TV. You know, this is where sitcom verges on the cinematic still in a, in a neat 20 minutes. And the interaction between these vastly different characters is so well realised. And more. Listen to us on all major podcast providers. Find us on Twitter at Den of Ten Pod, where you can like, follow, comment and vote. Or find us on the We Made This Podcast Network at wemadethisnetwork.com. We hope to see you soon in the Den of Ten.